and welcome to the Campaign Podcast. I am Gurdjit Deegan, Campaign's Creativity and Culture Editor. In today's episode, my colleague Coral Cripps, our tech editor, will be exploring the rise of gaming divisions in agencies. She's going to be speaking with Dentsu's Brent Koning, We Are Social's Rachel Bukowski and Divas Susie Barnes. Uh, but first, I'd like to welcome Imogen, Imogen Watson, our work and inspiration editor, to discuss a couple of the latest articles uh, that have gone up on our site this week. How Hello. are you, Imogen? I'm all right. <laughs> so Imogen, let's start with your profile piece on Charlie Rudd, mm-hmm. uh, the Green Chief Exec of Publicist.Poke, Fallon and uh, Leo Burnett. Bit of a mouth, mouthful there. Yeah. <laughs> What's he been up to? Well, you say it there. He's the chief exec of three agencies. Uh, obviously, Fallon sort of falls within Leo Burnett, but not to discredit how much work he's got. But yeah, he got handed the keys to Publicist Poke this year um, with John Hadfield leaving and um, has been doing Leo Burnett for four years. So he's done a major turnaround with Leo Burnett mm-hmm. um, with campaign school reports. When he started, I think two weeks he, he'd been working for two weeks when the school reports came out and they got a below average four um, in the space of four years, plus a pandemic, um, which is quite a success story. Uh, they turned it into an excellent eight um, mm-hmm. and got agency of the year this year as well. Oh, so, oh, on our, oh they won creative agency of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah creative leader and yeah. strategic leader. So it was a good opportunity to catch yeah. up with them. And now we started again with Publicist Poke. And again, they're a four. So, you know, yeah. Obviously, publicists think he's the man to turn around a four. Um, <laughs> so he's in the sort of means of trying to figure out what their sort of selling point will be at the, at the moment. Mm-hmm. Okay. So tell us a little bit more about Leo's, uh, Leo Burnett and what Charlie's been doing there. Um, yeah, so he came into it and he and he, he had this nice line where he said, um, agencies aren't very good at taking their own medicine. Um, and he and he means by that like, he's almost like agencies need to know what they're selling. People need to know what they're coming for. And this is where all the populist creativity selling point came out from there. It took him six months, I think, to land on that. And mm. you can see it throughout their work. Mm. Um, the sort of clients they're working with, this big mass audience, mass engagement. Um, and yeah, they've won a lot of great business along the way. Live. So the McDonald's one, um, Raise Your Arches, mm. They did a, there's a follow-up um, mm-hmm. ad to that that came out today, wasn't there? So is that part of the populist work that you... Yeah, making? for sure. Because it's that, I mean, what's more populist than Mackey's? <laughs> um, I feel like it's the most loved brand in the world, but that's coming from someone who loves it very much. Um, but you can see with the work, um, you, it's just for, for everyone. And they have a really smart way of bringing that together. The recent campaign is, is set on a summer holiday. Uh, they're at the red light and uh, they motion to each other with a gesture of the raised arches that there's a Mackey's down the way. And as everyone knows, there's nothing better than a motorway Mackey's. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I wish they would stop coming up with so much McDonald's work because I get it in the inbox and then I suddenly just need it right there, right now. So it <laughs> obviously is doing its job. <laughs> <laughs> so what do others uh, make of the work that Charlie has been doing at um, at the agency? I mean, there was no bad word, which is quite something, you know, I did try and look to see if there was a sort of anything there in terms of just having a balanced take mm. on, on on him. But literally everyone's big fans. I think yeah. what I saw, just a, he's just a top bloke. I think the thing is he's throughout his career, he's had a lot of very important critical roles. And I think often in this industry, is sort of led by some people who can be quite egotistical mm. and from f- talking to people from various places because I talked to everyone from BBH to Ogilvy to Leo Burnett 
um, where he's obviously now. Um, just the way that he conducts himself with such a good manner, um, I think it proves that you don't need to be, can I swear, a dickhead <laughs> um, to do well. And I think that's the general thing. He's very good at, from, from Nick Farnhill, it was interesting what he was saying. So Nick Farnhill was the founder of Polk. Um, and Which he's sold now into publicist sold into publicist yeah publicist there anymore emerged. And yeah <laughs> he is now the founder of food yeah. um and he obviously worked there was an overlap with them working together and he just sort of the way he spoke about him which was like you know you're up against some big giants and publicists and um he's just very good at getting budgets he's good at fighting for for his agency and getting what they need but doing it in a manner that's you know he gets a job done but he doesn't sort of come across in any way disrespectful mm. or and this the same said by Michael Frolic. Obviously, the Ogilvy restructure is quite a well documented. So Michael was the is the former CEO of o- Ogilvy. Yeah, during the time of the restructure. Yeah, um, where I think it was in the UK because it was a global restructure. But in the UK, it was thirteen sub brands um, that got sort of brought into one. Um, and even he said, despite their obvious differences, because Charlie was the um, CEO of Ogilvy and Mather. They were doing relatively well. He obviously didn't agree with the restructure, but even that, you know, mm. he still handled it with respect and chose to leave. Okay, thank you, Imogen. Uh, so another feature that uh, we ran this week is around non-disclosure agreements. It's a follow-up to last year's Make NDAs Fair campaign, which was set up by a group of industry volunteers. And the feature also includes data from our school reports, um, information that we picked up for, with the questionnaires that we send out to 100 agencies. We found out that um, at, by the end of 2022, just 15 of those agencies that we contacted have signed up to the pledge. 74 said that they had not signed up um, and 10 didn't know and one didn't answer the question. It feels like the issue of NDA has definitely been raised in the last couple of years. Within the last year, what differences have been made? So, yes, I spoke with um, Sharon Lloyd-Barnes, who um, is a commercial director and inclusion lead at the Ad Association. And that was uh, that the body was one of the original backers of the Make um, NDAs Fair mm. campaign. Um, and she thinks there has been a bit of a change um, and mentioned the all-in census findings. Mm-hmm. That found that in 2022, 1% of women and 1% of men out of 18,500 people questioned um, said they experienced sexual harassment in the workplace. Um, And that's compared with in 2021, it was 3% of women and 2% of men. And that was of a smaller survey sample as well of 16,000. She also noted time too. and she thinks that has had a difference as well. So that's the industry initiative that offers training um, to tackle sex, sexual harassment. Mm. Um, so she she says there's like an increase in self policing and allyship, um, which you know we, we're seeing in mm-hmm. in agencies. Um, and then I also spoke with uh, Shilpin Shilpin Savani, who's a partner at um, law firm uh, Gunner Cook. Uh, he was also part of the voluntary um people who who helped set up the the pledge um he said he reckons there's a far greater awareness of the fact that um you know sexually harassing people is unacceptable behavior mm-hmm. um and he's a lawyer who deals with a lot of these cases 
um, and he's dealing with other agency lawyers and he thinks they're more sensitive and more understanding about the dangers of misusing secrecy clause. Mm. Um, Just to take a step back, sorry, I meant to say that also that the pledge actually has four points um as the campaign has four points that agencies need to what that encourages agencies to kind of take on board um and and individuals but it's basically putting the emphasis not just on the company Mm. and so it's kind of fair for the individual as well so one because one of them is that before accepting an NDA as an employee, you should be independently advised. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of people are signing them without even realising and they probably just want to get out of the company and Mm -hmm. like, okay, fine, done. Um, I mean, it preys on like very vulnerable people because they don't have the money for a lawyer. And they're also, if you're younger employee and someone says here's 30 grand if you don't say anything it's very difficult to not just say I'll take the 30 grand yeah exactly but there's a whole thing about silencing the person Mm. um so the person who's done it continues uh to do it oh exactly yeah it doesn't prevent that from happening which is a huge part that needs to be stopped because I I did what struck me about your piece was it felt very hopeful because I did a piece about a year ago and there's so much more going on. There seems to be so much more progress. The thing that struck me was the fact that still so many people don't want to talk about it on record. That I found it really disappointing. Mm. So I contacted um, quite a few agencies. I can't remember how many now, but many didn't want to speak Mm. on the record. Others kind of were like, oh, yeah, we'll speak to you, you know, at this time or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they just didn't pick up. Mm. Um, and then it's, oh, we're so busy, whatever, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but one who did talk on the record was Oliver. Mm. Um, so they haven't signed the pledge. Um, and this is another thing to kind of explore is have people or agencies not signed the pledge because they've got other um things in place yeah Yeah, exactly so I spoke with um, Amina Florian um, who's the UK UK group chief exec and global chief inclusion officer at at Oliver Ogilvy I've got Mm, that in my mind from the (laughs) Charlie chat Uh, they introduced their safe to say platform in 21 um, and that was to talk about up about racism Um, but then they quickly realized that the policy policy should be open for people to speak up about anything Mm -hmm. and they want she wants to tackle it um at the beginning so if somebody feels um something has happened and they're not happy with um you know or have noticed some harassment or it can be anything um she said they want to create a culture of physical safety and people can speak up about their experiences and it requires an upskilling Mm -hmm. in hr teams Mm -hmm. because the thing is like sexual harassment or just harassment in general is such a problem and it's agencies want people to speak up about it but if NDAs are there it's just it just makes it really really impossible and it's difficult enough as itself to to do um for me and I don't know if this is very naively because I mean I don't run a business but I don't understand why they can't just get rid of NDAs to be used in to be used I understand why people use NDAs from a business sense but I don't understand why it's so difficult to to remove from from harassment um because it seems quite simple for me. But then again, I say I might be quite naive. 
I know, um, I, I know what you mean, and I, I think I agree with you, but I don't see it ever happening no. that there will never be an NDA mm. used in letting someone go because mm-hmm. it's not just to do with like, sexual harassment claims. I think mm. it's to do with a load of things, but I don't know. Does it get too far? Is is you know, it's like Amina says, should the should it be tackled at the beginning? Mm-hmm. Well, it's when too late get, by the time it gets to an NDA. That's all Somebody happened. said to me off the record, like, if somebody's, if you've got to NDA stage or even some point and some people, depending who they are and where they are in their lives, if they've got to the talking up, telling their boss kind of mm. vibes, they have already sorted out an exit plan. Because mm. mm-hmm. you don't is, want to work somewhere that that's happening. Yeah, but you need to feel, but you need, to, I think agencies need to create an environment where, and this is not all agencies, but you need to create an environment where everybody's okay to talk up. Mm-hmm. And, and better, then others realise that that's really stupid mm-hmm. behaviour. And there's better, you know, the grey area is the, the really tough part, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. where Because it's, people don't know where to draw the line and it just needs greater training or greater awareness as to, because naively I'm like, why don't people know where the line is? Surely it's really obvious, but. The thing is, it's not. Mm. Um, and I think, yeah, greater training around that. But then again, like time two, I've got their sexual harassment training and, and not so many people have actually completed it. No. Um, so there's stuff there. Yeah, it's just yeah, there's yeah. a lack of, you know, wants or, or or sort of like push to do it. Yeah. It's a wider society thing though as well, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Goes okay. Than this. Big topic there. Yeah. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's end on that note. <laughs> um, thank you, Imogen. That is all we have time for. So over to Coral for all things gaming. Thanks, Gurgit. Uh, so last week we ran a story about Depp's launch of a gaming-focused division where 100 members of their staff are now going to focus on producing gaming activations and working with clients to help them better understand how they can reach their audiences through major gaming platforms and uh, other innovative technologies such as AR, VR, and the metaverse. Uh, but what's really interesting about this story is that when Debt was launching their division, they cited some figures from PwC and NewZoo, which claimed that 88% of Gen Z and 94% of Gen A identify as gamers. Um, and what this means is that a vast majority of future clients are going to grow up only having known a life with gaming. Um, of course, many of us also now know that there are a total of 3 billion gamers online, which is a huge number. Um, but it's brought up a lot in the industry that more traditional advertisers still don't understand gaming um, or they don't recognize what they can achieve if they try to target gamers. Uh, so joining us are three people who are really well positioned to talk about this further. Um, we have Brent Koning, uh, the global lead of gaming at Dentsu, uh, Susie Barnes, she's the CEO and founder of Diva, and Rachel Rakovsky, she's the global head of gaming at We Are Social. Um, thank you all for joining me today. I'm really excited to chat with you all. Hi, thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. Awesome. So um, my first question for all of you is obviously the three of you are all leaders at the forefront of gaming and advertising. Um, Why do each of you think more agencies are choosing to dedicate entire teams and divisions towards gaming projects and initiatives in today's world? If I'm honest with you, I'm surprised it's taken um, agencies as long as it has to sort of catch up with the trend in gaming. If you think about the fact that uh, Barbie's a film grossed 155 million dollars in its first three days at the box office um, when we helped launch 
Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3, it did $400 million in 24 hours. And that was back in 2011. Um, so games has been a massive industry for a really long time. And uh, people that are just waking up to the opportunities in games uh, are, are quite far behind the curve from my point of view. So so we really welcome other other agencies getting involved in the space. Just surprised it didn't happen sooner. Yeah, I, that's totally that's totally right. And I it's almost even one step further than that. Like publishers are now making fun of how much money they're making. So when Diablo launched in the first 6 days there was 666 million uh you know dollars like it's almost like poking the industry um just saying hey why aren't you here? Um but the, yeah like I I think timeshare of gaming content it just far exceeds everything in entertainment combined and so um yeah it, it it's crazy to me that it also has taken um such a long time and i think you see you know depth's group you see Dentsu's group Susie's team obviously has been you know focused on this for a long time like it's really important that like the future um you follow future trends and yeah arguably we're we're way behind as an industry in advertising yeah, definitely. And I think um, another aspect of it is, you know, you're looking at the numbers, really. You see Gen Z, you see Gen A, they're all gamers. It's not just a thing people are doing in basements anymore. It's not a niche thing. It's uh, it's definitely taken over. And if you're not on top of that trend, you're basically, you know, as Susie said, you're falling behind. And really, it's become a necessity to to build these teams, these specialized teams and agencies, because... It's not just, hey, you know, we can put all gamers in a box and market to them all in one specific way. Like it's different between, you know, FPS and MMOs. And then when you're even if you're looking at FPS, you know, there's kind of like micro genres and these micro communities within that. So if you're advertising to somebody who plays Call of Duty, you're not going to speak to them in the same way that you speak to somebody who's playing Overwatch and getting people that really know the nuance, that's something that you absolutely need to have in order to be able to win in the space. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think, you know, by by saying, you know, 88% of, um, of Gen Z are gamers is basically just saying, like, people are gamers, right? And actually, the, the, the term gamer becomes irrelevant. You've, you, uh, you're absolutely right, Rachel. You're talking about really complex ecosystems and completely different types of players existing, completely different types of, of communities, and they interact with their games in the same way, you know, whether you're talking about, you know, hyper-casual hyper, hyper casual mobile gamers, you know, which might be sort of busy busy mums or something like that to, to sort of hardcore gamers, um, you know, in, in massive multi uh online worlds um the brands are getting more and more interested with because of because of the number of uh, of players that are involved in those ecosystems it's really really complex and i think uh, summarizing it with those those really high level statistics about the number of people just to me um demonstrates how complicated it is actually you've got to you've got to really get um under the skin of it to understand how you're going to find your audience in such a massive group of of, of people um, just to build on that question, um, 
obviously more agencies are also hiring global gaming heads, um, such as you, Bren, and you, Rachel. Um, so this question is for both of you. What do you think has necessitated roles such as yours in today's gaming landscape? And um, can you tell me just a little bit about what you've both started working on in your new role so far? As I understand, Brent, you joined your role last year? Yeah, yeah, just about 10 months now. Nice. And then Rachel, you just joined your role uh, this year. Yeah, just a couple of months ago, so I'm fairly new. <laughs> yeah, I speaking really candidly, I, I actually think it's it's a bit of a chemistry thing. So um, I always joke around, you need to kind of like widen the aperture and zoom up a level. Like most, most you know, groups and call it like media planners and marketing, um, you know, kind of core marketing plan builders – they understand that gaming is big. They probably are gamers themselves. However, as part of the marketing mix, it's a very complicated thing to integrate if you don't know what the hell you're talking about. So why I say it's a chemistry thing is if you're not comfortable with your internal teams or you're not comfortable with your agencies or they're not bringing the right kind of opportunities forward, um, that then you're kind of lost and then you kind of don't integrate the plans and then you're kind of searching for another agency. So I think what necessitate, necessitates the roles and not even just the roles specifically, but actually the expertise is really just making sure that you're saying the right things and bringing the, like the right um, opportunities at the right level. And I think that that for me has been maybe the most eye-opening thing here is you know, insert new zoo study statistic here. You can talk about gaming as big as you want and it's on everybody's slides. However, <laughs> spend has not followed that. And the reason why is because there's not that connection in making sure you're breaking down the right things. I mean, I'll be really honest. I would, if we surveyed every single client of all of ours, uh, Rachel, Susie's and mine, and we asked them what an MML was, they wouldn't know, right? The, the 10%, maybe 20% uh, max. And so it's like, I, I preach and shout from the rooftops, like education is critical. Um, and this is in, um, a, a trend that's very similar to the way that social media was around 10, 15 years ago. Um, you, you'd have a full marketing plan, a full marketing mix, and then you'd have a social media plan. <laughs> It's just crazy to think about, right? Now, it, it, social media is integrated. It's a full part of the marketing mix. It's like not even a question. Um, gaming is working its way in, <laughs> into the marketing mix. But the reality is, it's the same thing. It's still a test and learn culture. It's still trials. Um, if you rewind even further, 20, 30 years before that, there was the old um, adage, uh, no one ever got fired by um, choosing IBM, right? And so spenders need to feel comfortable in the plans that they're kind of verifying and validating and building plans around. And that just takes education. And so there's all these different waves of kind of onboarding. And again, why I think we're lucky on this call and in, in, in this industry is gaming is fun. Um, and so there's the shininess of it that you kind of need to take away and get into the facts where this is a hyper engaged audience. It makes perfect sense. It quadruples any other um, type of kind of wallet and timeshare in any other entertainment capacity. Um, and, and, and it's here to stay. 
in fact, it's growing at a, at, at a pace, even in this economy that is, is still staggering. And so um, I think kind of to bring it back to the roles, it's like, it's, it's about that chemistry and bringing the right, like, um, wavelength of information to the people that, that, that kind of need to hear it. Um, and it's, and it's a process. It's not perfect by any means, but it's a process. And this is progress, um, in the industry. Yeah, definitely agree with everything that Brent has said. And I think this just goes back to, you know, what we talked about a second ago, which is that gaming is so ultra specialized. If you don't have somebody who really understands the space and understands, like I said, like the subgenres and those micro communities within it, you're really going to you're setting yourselves up to fail. Um, so, you know, a lot of these agencies, they need to find people who really understand how to speak to the community, how to speak to the gamer. And, you know, I think one of the reasons why, you know, we are social kind of brought me in is that I've worked in so many roles throughout gaming is I can kind of like, as Brent said, see the whole picture. Um, like if you look at my career, it's been a little bit uh, nuts. You know, I, I think I started off as a composer in games and then I did audio engineering and then camera operation. And, you know, in order to kind of lead and really understand the product you're making, you need to be able to get down in the trenches and understand what it is the people that you work with are producing and how every single piece of the puzzle fits together. And without having somebody in that role who understands it, you know, things start to fall apart. You get, you know, teams that are siloed, you get, you know, a social media plan that looks one way. And then you have like your PR and email and all these other plans that look completely different. You know, you need to have somebody that has that oversight who understands um, all the ways that things fit together and, and pushes that forward and leads on it. Nice. Totally agree. You need someone who's acquainted with the gaming space and really understands the ethos of gamers. Um, and I think you both understand that very well. Um, Susie, as the front runner of a gaming focused agency who's worked with so many major publishers over the course of 15 years, um, how have you seen your operations expand as the gaming space has evolved? Um, and we also recently covered Diva's decision to open a media-focused division. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that choice? Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, we're sort of the opposite end of what Brent was talking about in that we are um, we're gaming native. All of our clients are games. Um, and so we sort of come from it from, from inside the industry. We think of ourselves as in and of the games industry um, rather than uh, looking to, to partner up with it. Um, and so we started off doing retail marketing, you know, sort of 15 years ago, we were um, retail marketing specialist um, supporting box games, you know, in, in stores on the high streets. We did a lot of point of sale and stuff like that. And to me, our journey is sort of representative of, of the games industry as a whole. You know, it's such an exciting industry to be part of. It, it's, it's basically a, a tech industry. It's constantly uh, uh, evolving and reinventing itself. And, and our journey has, has aligned with that. So, so as an agency, we've continually had to be, um, you know, watching the horizon, seeing what was coming next. So, so originally that was moving from being a physical point of sale agency to you know, digitally focused to support digital download content, et cetera. Um, and, uh, you know, when things like influencer marketing started to become really important to, to, to games launches, uh, then being able to understand and be across that space um, to everything from thinking ahead about how things like cloud gaming might 
uh, potentially disrupt the way our clients' games get brought to market, et cetera, and what that might mean for them. So um, we are we're always changing and and moving with the times to make sure that our our services align with what games companies need in order to uh, in in order to um, uh, find their audience and and for them as well. Actually, you know, it's become they've become almost a, a victim of their own success. Games has become so huge that actually trying to find share of voice for games in the market is increasingly challenging. Um, so in terms of our, um, you know, our expanded offering, and we have moved to, to a fully integrated agency offering now, and, and I feel like Rachel was speaking a little bit to that, you know, our, our experience in the past was that the best work that we did used to be with other specialist games companies. And so, and so our head of media, um, Lou Gaynor, um, was, uh, the CEO of, of, of a specialist games media agency called Target. And always when we worked with Target in the past, um, we would we would find that those those campaigns those partnerships would be really successful because those teams on her side really understood um, the space like we did um, and so now to have Lou um, running our our uh, media division is absolutely brilliant and 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 for us having that in depth knowledge across all of the different service lines is is essential so you know that's basically why we've moved to that to that model quickly to add to that I mean it's really like a kudos to to you and the agency, Susie, like, like the, this just even a very simple thing around the sales cycle of a video game. Right. And you, you kind of hinted on it. The sales cycle of a video game has completely changed, right? The, like the requirement, uh, and you look at it from a creative lens, right? The need around a robust uh, pre-order campaign doesn't really exist. And, and so it's like, it's kind of a, it's kind of a weird evolution within like the, the microcosm of gaming, like, you know, the amount of people that still rely on a pre-order campaign in, in the publishing world is actually pretty significant still. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, when you see the shift from digital to physical sales, um, it's, it's, you have to adapt and grow to that. And so kind of tying it back to the original kind of thesis around this conversation is like, like the whole industry has to move. And, and, and I would argue video games does it better than anyone in entertainment. Right. However, you know, the pioneers sometimes get the arrows. (laughs) And so you look at, you know, Barbie and what Barbie's done. I think it's a great reference point. They have to spend $150 million, and I've heard rumors that it's actually more, um, to go and get this campaign for this normal box office thing for literally an hour and 30 minutes of someone's time, right? I spend more time in my build-outs in my favorite video games than I do at the movie theater. And so just like to size the pie that's a really hard narrative to go and convert into a media plan. And I think, again, it kind of goes back to like, this is an evolution of an industry that is not going away. It's only growing. And like those, the, like as everyone kind of evolves around it, um, it will continue to be a force within the spend space for brands. Yeah, absolutely. And even though the industry is growing so much, what do you think is holding gaming advertising back? And why is it the case that so many advertisers still don't understand the space? Um, what, what are just few of the, the barriers that you guys could name? 
I think it's establishing what what gamers want. You know, um, they don't necessarily want to have the fourth wall broken in terms of their in-game experience by having advertisers sort of interrupt that. Um, so um, for in-game activations, they, they really need to um, augment the experience um, and, and, and therefore brands and agencies need to work really hard to make sure that their activations actually feel authentic to the community so getting that right is is a bit of a barrier to entry and and you know that the available real estate in games for um just what you would consider to be normal advertising is 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 not that is not that huge it's not as huge as advertisers would like it to be so you have to look for more sort of partnership activations and these tend to take time and they need really good consideration in order for them to land uh, and be well received within within the ecosystem yeah absolutely totally agree um brent and rachel do you have anything to add to that yeah i think this is very polarizing well it can be very polarizing and maybe sample size of of, of, of one here um, uh, there's not a lot of good best practice and and I think that that tends to be um, that can tend to be uh, prohibitive um, when you don't have a lot of like really fantastic case studies that kind of 360 do everything right in a campaign I think there's more um, than, than there used to be um, but where I start to kind of like think of the barriers coming back is the errors are the rest of the industry pointing fingers at video games. The errors are um, highlighted in the headlines when in reality, and Susie, unbeknowingly, I'm going to cite uh, a project that you worked on. Uh, the, the TFL PlayStation launch was one of the best campaigns in the history of video games. And, and, and honestly, uh, you hear about uh, you hear about some of the conundrums in um, PlayStation's launch or Xbox One's launch. It's like, oh, they did this weird press conference wrong. It's like, well, how come we're not celebrating these, you know, fantastic wins, um, you, you know, in the marketplace that transcended um, video game kind of like go to market you know, launch for for consoles and platforms, uh, say the least. So I, I I think like the industry needs to do a better job, um, like promoting what what's happening. The the industry needs to do a better job, like promoting the winners as a and and not really focusing on the kind of the losers and the bad. Um, and so I I think that's a huge like part of it. Also, it doesn't some some of these things don't get headlines because, um headlines actually don't matter for a lot of players, right? Like the headlines in, you know, CNN or BBC are not read by a majority of gamers because they don't care. Yet my mom, our parents, they read BBC and CNN and all the like, um, like my mom knows more about the video game industry failures than she does about the successes. So it, it it's kind of this chicken or an egg thing that needs to happen. And so one of our philosophies at Dentsu is to really support and promote the good and, and take and highlight. And, and I know awards are kind of a weird thing. You know, everybody's got their award, you know, series. However, those awards get really important when you're trying to bring new things to, to market. And so um, I just think we need to do a lot more like celebrating of the wins in order for, for um, you know, adoption to increase. And then again, going back to the thesis of this, specialized groups helping bring really good opportunities to brands 
that that's that's critical. And 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 I think that that's like part of what will clear the clouds of uh, of the dark days potentially of of some of this kind of sentiment. Yeah, I know this is a podcast, but I'm I'm nodding loudly. <laughs> I see you and I hear you. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to be a little bit of a black sheep of, I guess, the group here and say that, you know, it's all a matter of perspective, I think. Um, I think where some people see that there's a lot of barriers, I actually see that there's a ton of opportunity. Um, I think there's a million and one opportunities to really market effectively when you're working with brands, when you're working with game developers. It's just you know, having the knowledge and understanding the space. And that's where people like us come in. Um, I think the big things, uh, the big barriers for for brands is just the complexity of the space. Obviously, there's, like I talked about quite a bit, ultra specialized, a lot of nuances. I think brands get a little bit nervous because there's that aspect that they have to deal with. But I think, you know, probably one of the big ones that we deal with a lot at We Are Social is just the cost is people come in and they think that in order to be in gaming, I need to do this huge Fortnite activation that is worth, you know, millions and millions of dollars. And you don't really need to do that to get into games and really make an impact. Like something that I, I saw not too long ago is uh, an agency did this thing with a KFC where they made a Colonel Sanders skin in, I think it was Street Fighter. And that is like, you know, a very low cost thing that you can kind of do at home. And they've created that. They marketed it and people loved it. And people were going out, they were downloading the skin and, and, you know, having a really good time with it. So there's these small ways where you can actually get in and kind of find your place in the community. But you need to, I guess, work with people like us to understand how. And that's something that I would say that we really do well at We Are Social. We kind of you know, if a brand's standing at the edge of the maze saying, okay, I don't know where to start. It's kind of like somebody like me is coming in, holding their hand and saying, all right, you know what, let's go through this and let's do it together. Let's, let's figure it out and let's put your brand in the right place in gaming and, and find that success for you. Um, a permission to kind of like keep nerding out for just a second. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I actually think that there is like a bigger kind of meta problem as well. Um, again, not a popular opinion to some of our brand side friends, but like I, I have seen since I've started here at Dentsu, and again, I've kind of been in agency world a little bit in the past. I have seen some of the worst creative briefs I have ever seen in the past 10 months. And, and I think people want gaming to be, they're like, we know we need to be in gaming. We want to go spend in all this stuff. We need you to solve our problems. It's like, great. Like, what's the brief, right? We get a brief. And the brief doesn't even have a strategy attached to it. It doesn't even have um, any association to some of the creative work that's being done. And so I, I have this kind of crass model of shit in, shit out, right? If you put a shit brief into the black box, you are going to get a shit response. <laughs> and so for me, like if we can, like um, we always put the shiny polished products on our resumes and our portfolios are the end result with the awards. I actually think if we put our, like the best well-written creative brief, if that creative brief was what you were proud of as a marketeer and as like an agency person, like that would start to shift things around in a really well thought out brief. That's not, I mean, again, not, I'm not naming names here, but I had a client tell us they had chat GPT finish their creative brief. And it's like, 
man, how off, how off are we if we're in this position where we're all of the kind of sentiment around building a really good campaign or a really good um, brand or a really good, you know, piece of content is, is driven um, with, with the starting point not being very good. And so I, I think it's a huge, huge kind of plea and cry to the industry to make sure that we're like doing really, really good job and briefing our partners in. And then, and then it's our job to come back and be like, Hey, you know what? This brief isn't quite what we need. Let's pull back more. And so, and, and get more and get that better. I also think that accelerates um, planning. It accelerates opportunity, accelerates some of the things that we all think that kind of the, the gaming kind of vertical can do within media. Um, and then again, it, like not putting it all back on client, but it, that, that's how we're all better, you know, is if, if we get like really solid foundational things that can actually push the industry forward. Um, again, maybe a little bit of what's holding us back, but also big picture, it slows things down as well. Yeah, definitely. I guess this also poses the question, is chat GPT a gamer? Um, <laughs> uh, has it spent enough time in the gaming community? And um, and I think right now our answer is that, um, you know, you guys are the go-tos for this kind of stuff. Um, so I have one final question I'd like to run by the three of you um, and answer as much as you can. But what is one of your favorite gaming campaigns you've worked on this year? Um, and can you describe how it fits into your agency's wider marketing activity? Because we work on games all year round, you've basically just asked me to list my, my favorites of our entire body work year. <laughs> so, um, okay, so I, I've got a couple of actually that, I, that I'd like to flag. So we did work on Diablo. Uh, we've been working with Activision, you know, pretty much since we founded um, and we worked on a, a brief for Diablo out of home. Um, and it was interesting because it was, uh, we had to use Unreal Engine to concept and create sort of photorealistic mural, which then got hand painted by, um, uh, a company called Global Street Art. And it was brought to life with projection mapping, uh, it, across buildings in, in London and Berlin and Stockholm and, um, so that was a really that was a really cool campaign to work on. It was great to be part of, you know, the, the Diablo launch. It was such a massively successful, you know, launch for for Activision Blizzard. And I think you you already flagged the the stats on that, uh, Brent. You know, it's the fastest selling Blizzard game of all time. Um, so in terms of like our AAA work, that's one of our more recent campaigns this year, which which we which we're really proud of. Um, another one, which is actually just launched last week, um, and, uh, I, uh, it's doing really well is, is a game called, uh, Remnant 2, which is, uh, which is by, uh, Gearbox. Um, we had a European PR remit for that one. Um, and it already looks set to become a, a cult classic as a game. Uh, and people are talking about it in terms of being, of being game of the year, um, which is, which is really exciting. Uh, for us, it was exciting because, it was, uh, you know, we only launched our PR division last year, so that was our first big PR launch since since we we started doing doing games PR. So super exciting for us as an agency uh, to be part of to be part of that story as well. Nice. Um, uh, I, I, less of a campaign, maybe more of a project. Um, like I think the the most maybe f fun fun is is not, I don't know if fun is the right word. Uh, maybe just like impactful um, is. You know, we launched as a founding partner of the Roblox Partner Program, 
Um, and, and I think from a, a kind of a whole co and network perspective from a density side, I'm going to sound like very <laughs> celestial here, but like uh, not many people, I don't think have just jumped in to Roblox and really understand what Roblox is. Um, and I liken it to like my early childhood when my parents would buy Lego and they'd stick it in a box and we'd jumble all the stuff up and it was like, you know, summer and it was like, we have nothing to do. And it's like, here's the box of Lego, go build something. Right. And then you would dink around and you'd have tow trucks and forts and castles and literally anything. Um, like Roblox just as a platform, I think is one of the most creative outlets for, for any age. I mean, in particular, you know, uh, younger like players and gamers, but man, I, I like, that project and program is really exciting. And what like the Roblox team is doing is fantastic. They're looking to open that up with their 17 plus experiences as well. Um, I just think it's a really safe place for, for players. Um, and it's also a really safe place for brands in the right context. And, and so um, I'm most excited about that because, you know, we use this term metaverse like far too loosely in, in, um, I just think this connected little web of people doing things they love is just awesome. And and so I'm, a, it's just, it's the most kind of like impactful project that we've worked on um, at, at least in the past, you know, year or so. Rachel, are you, I know you're new in your role, but can you share something that you are starting or that you have started working on? So for me, it's a little bit tricky because I am quite new. So everything that I'm working on is unfortunately under NDA. Um, However, you know, the team has done some incredible things before I joined and and they continue to do so. Like um, our team also works on Activision Blizzard. We did uh, some stuff for the Diablo launch. We've done, you know, really amazing stuff on social for Call of Duty. We did some really cool things on like soap codes, which the uh, actor who plays soap uh, in the game was actually a part of, and he volunteered to do that because he thought it was so cool. Um, yeah, and we like the team is doing some incredible stuff um, in terms of just something that I've worked on uh, myself. Is you know I'm joining. We are social off the back of uh, leading brand for um, for Logitech G on the simulation and racing side. And we did a really amazing campaign called Drive to Win. And it was a partnership that we did with uh, PlaySeat. Now, that was, I think, one of my favorite campaigns of all time because it was something that was so different than anything that Logitech has ever done before. Uh, I think Logitech always went for kind of targeting gamers in a way of being like, okay, you know, cool. Here's some pixelated stuff. Here's some, you know, really vibrant, colorful things, which I think does work well for some of the products that they have. But when you're looking at racing specifically is, I think one of the really interesting things and, you know, kind of tying it back to the nuances is that um, people that are working in that space, you know, people who are playing in like racing games, they actually don't even see themselves as gamers. They see themselves as racing car drivers. So when we were launching this seat with play seat, we were like, Hey, uh, you know, let's actually talk to the, the person who, you know, wants to kind of be that racing car driver and really immerse themselves into that world. And we created this program called Drive to Win, uh, which I definitely recommend you check out because it's it's absolutely amazing the kind of stuff that we created for it. And I know that it went on to win a bunch of awards recently, which is 
you know, nice little, I guess, feather in the cap for both myself and then the whole team at Logitech G. Um, but yeah, I think that that was probably the best thing that I've worked on so far this year. Awesome. All great answers. And yes, definitely check out all of what uh, Susie, Brent and Rachel have mentioned. Um, they've been behind some really awesome work. That wraps up our chat. Thank you, um, all of you guys. This was a really, really great chat. And uh, you'd all bring your knowledge into this in a really um, awesome and, and affirming way. So thank you for joining. Thanks, Carl. Thank you. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about what we've been discussing today, please visit our website at campaignlive.co.uk. And details of our subscriptions are available at campaignlive.co.uk forward slash membership. If you enjoyed this episode of the Campaign Podcast, please follow us, like us, and leave a review whenever you listen to our podcasts. Uh, Big thank you to Haymarket Studio Manager, Nav Pal, and also to our producer, Aiden Lyons from Rethink Audio. And to you for listening, I hope you'll join us next time. On behalf of the campaign team, goodbye.